for epilepsy, there is hope. Hey podcast listeners, Tori Robinson here for Epilepsy Sparks Insights, a podcast about epilepsy, epilepsy research, common comorbidities and all of the fascinating science behind it. Whether you have epilepsy, are a family member, a neurologist, neuropsychiatrist, therapist, neurophysiologist, scientist or researcher, Epilepsy Sparks Insights is designed to help you learn more about epilepsy from the other side of the table. I'm a person with epilepsy and some missing brain tissue. I hope to help bridge the unnecessary gap between patients, the public and the aforementioned. Because epilepsy research and science are cool. In the last episode featuring Dr. Callie Seaman, we discussed her role as a cannabis scientist at Aqualabs and as a person with epilepsy. This week on the programme, we are talking to an amazing team from Future Neuro and the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland about epilepsy patient empowerment and their electronic portal called Pisces. We'll be speaking to Dr. Kevin Power, a postdoc researcher, Mary White, an advanced epilepsy nursing practitioner, Mary Fitzsimmons, a principal investigator, and Susan Dolan, a care partner and mum of a person living with epilepsy, all of whom are working together on the Pisces project. If you're new to the channel, do make sure that you subscribe and hit the bell for notifications. This is a weekly podcast slash video. Do not go anywhere. Stay with us. Okay, then, please tell us about Pisces. What happens behind the scenes and what are you trying to achieve? So Pisces stands for providing individualized services and care in epilepsy. And Pisces is what's called an electronic patient portal. And it's been developed by um, researchers in the Future Neuro Center and RCSI in Dublin. Basically, with Pisces, then, people that have epilepsy and attend one of the national hospitals in Ireland that have access to the epilepsy electronic patient record. So people can access their patient portal records and they can do things like access their clinic letters and they can access things that are like tools for patients to report their progress and outcomes. They can, you know, communicate with their clinicians about their epilepsy care goals and questions they might have or they can use it to prepare for their clinical appointments and they can validate the content of their summary record. The Pisces patient portal has been built on top of the National Epilepsy Electronic Healthcare Record. Clinicians in Ireland, like uh, Moira, who's on the call with us, use this electronic healthcare record in their daily business when they're you know, seeing their people with epilepsy are coming for their, whether it be a patient's appointment or a telephone call, they use the epilepsy electronic patient record. So I might ask Moira just to talk a little bit about the development of the epilepsy electronic patient record. And that's been developed over the years in uh, an ethnographic process where clinicians and different allied health professionals have had input into the co-development of that system. Moira, would you like to speak a little bit about that? Okay, so thanks, Kevin. The epilepsy electronic patient record, well, I work in a big hospital in Dublin and it's for epilepsy care, it's really how we do our business now. And as Kevin says, this was developed many years ago, but everybody was involved in it. It was, you know, the doctors, the nurses, everybody input into the development of this, into the epilepsy electronic patient record, so that it was became, you know, a really usable tool. Where it was, it started off as a research and development. It's now in use every single solitary day in our hospital. And as Kevin said, in hospitals around the country. So first of all, from the clinician point of view, 
when we see somebody in the outpatients clinic, we have all of their information on the electronic record. Patients often get very fed up when they come into a hospital and they're asked time and time again by the you know same different doctors, different nurses, you know, what medications are you taking? You know, how many, what's the side effects, da-da-da-da. So we have all of that for them, a complete summary, and we have it all there in front of them. So I think it gives the patients confidence in, you know, the people who are delivering their care. And we use it not just for the outpatients, we use it for the telephone advice line which is, you know, provides a continuity of care between the outpatient appointments when patients phone in. We have mm-hmm. all the information at, their finger, at our fingertips. We can make changes. It's very comforting, I think, for patients. Well, it's very comforting for me. You know, <laughs> we don't have the electronic patient record. You know, we're like, oh, my God, how, how did we live without this? So, yeah, and they can update their record themselves, right? They can't update their record with the portal. What they have is the portal is, 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 is a view into their record. So they can look at their record and they can validate the information, which is so important because in hospitals, things get, you know, in hospital, in hospital charts, there's errors. And patients are the very best people. They're out there and they can look and they can say, no, I wasn't on that tablet or I didn't have that side effect of that medication that's Mm. really important information and family history and all of the things that are so important to us as clinicians patients and their families are the people to validate this record so they can send us a direct message a secure message which which allows you know gives us a message and tells us as an error and then we can update the record that sounds very sort of like really quite reassuring for patients and carers in fact I I hope so it's certainly reassuring for us as clinicians you know and I, I think it makes our care much more comprehensive, you know, and I, I always feel when somebody comes into the outpatient's appointment, you know, there's only a certain amount of time and they only have one or two, maybe three visits a year. You know, you want to get the best bang for your book, you know. So you use your portal, you know, beforehand, if you look at the question part of it, if you prepare for your appointment, in that case, then, you know, you, you, all the simple stuff maybe that you can get out from you know, from the generic questions, you might have sorted that yourself. And then you can come in with your list of questions that's really specific and important to you in preparation. And then afterwards, looking at your clinic letter and validating it and saying, yeah, that's what we discussed. It's an aid memoir. If you review your letter and say, oh, yeah, she told me to have a blood test done in three weeks time. That's brilliant. So tell me, how how are things going to be developed further? Like, um, I mean, maybe this Kevin can answer this or I don't know who's going to be um, answering this question specifically, but how are things going to be taken from today? What's going to be happening going forward? I think Moira gave it really good, some kind of concrete examples of how people can use the patient portal in the real world. So we recruited about 72 people with epilepsy, about 18 of their associated care partners. So that could be a sibling, it could be a mom or a dad, could be you know, a husband or a wife. What we did was we looked at different cohorts of, of patients and different cohorts of clinicians. And some of those were given access, as Moira was talking about, to their clinic letter. They read through their clinic letter and they were looking at to see, you know, what they value about that. You know, did they find anything that didn't make sense to them or, or is there anything that could be improved there? And then there was other cohorts of patients, people that have a vagal nerve stimulator implant. So that's an Im- implant that helps to hopefully improve their seizure uh, response. People that are on, for example, that are on the ketogenic diet and have been using the patient portal to communicate with their clinical dietitian. And there's a there's a lot of experience there from the people we've done our research with. We were, you know, doing things like surveys, focus groups, interviews and all the rest. And I might actually ask Sue for a bit of her experience around having access to the patient portal and what she valued about that. Sue looked at things like the EPR summary module. So that was medications, seizure types, investigations, 
Sue would have had access to, to clinic letters that were produced after the appointments. You know, Sue's been very active with us in our research, so I think it's, it's good to hear from Sue. So my son is 23 and he's had quite a difficult epilepsy. He's been on a lot of medication. He has VNS, which is very successful. And I found in 2011, he went through a really bad period where he was in and out of hospital quite a lot. And, you know, in normal times when everyone's well, you can remember things. You can remember when he had his last seizure, what did it look like? But when you're in panic mode, everything goes out the window. And I had three yeah. notepads with different notes on it. And uh, so I went from the notepads to an app on my phone. And I found that really helpful because I could pull it up and I could say, well, this happened and this happened and this happened. And then I met Kevin and Kevin showed me this. And I was going, oh, my God, this is very technical. Little by little, it made sense, you know, for me in particular, because my son's now 23. So you know, it's great to go in there. As Moira said, sometimes you come out of an appointment and a lot has been said and you're still digesting it. And I have epilepsy as well. So it's, you know, what did they say? When do I have to have my bloods done? You know, so I can go back in and go, yeah, he needs to have his bloods done. Or when will his battery potentially be running out? I need to check in. In my world, I would love the portal to be open to us for everything to do it, you know, Bobby's epilepsy and other care to go in there, like his blood tests, his EEGs, his VNS, his medications, his appointments, maybe a section for seizure activity for parents or caregivers and people with epilepsy to be able to input as they go along. And also maybe a section for we're with St. James's and we email the nurse if we're having difficulty or if we have a question and they tend to ring us back. So in the portal, if there was a section there that you could, instead of going scrambling for your emails, I, I think it's amazing. I think it's a brilliant idea. And, you know, I'm really hoping it, it takes off. And I remember going to a talk, Maura was at once, and she said, this is your information. Why wouldn't you guys have access to it? Because for years, we felt like we were being minded. And it was, you know, it was the doctor's stuff. And it wasn't, if people with conditions feel like co-carers and they won't become patients they'll, become, they'll manage their own conditions we won't feel like we're dependent yeah it's like, it's like quite empowering I think it really is yeah both patients or people with epilepsy and their carers or just loved ones really the access to their information so also you guys know how to support the one that you love and care mm. for as well as the person with epilepsy being able to care for themselves better and and then in addition of course um, I mean as you were saying before there's the issue say somebody's in hospital and it's just panic mode so it's just great to have like little reminders or have things right there in front of you okay that's what we need to do or or even reminders to contact neurologist or epilepsy nurse when necessary I think can you all tell the right person please tell me about what is the ongoing research into this what is likely to happen in the future I mean Kevin do you know the answer to that well I mean for us and the, the patient portal research you know it's for the last number of years, this has been very much a research project. So it's in, in the confines of research. You know, from the findings of our research, it's pointed to the fact that, you know, there's a want from patients and carers for this patient portal technology. And clinicians are, I would say, cautiously positive. The patient portal has a lot more for patients and carers to be just enthusiastic and positive whereas clinicians it brings in a change to their work process you know and clinicians are already 
stretched um, and especially you know with COVID-19 things have been changing so rapidly over the last 12 months so I suppose where the patient portal stuff is going is that it's we're trying to push this from research to clinical implementation and that moves it out of the, the closely guarded research context i'd actually like to ask moira do what are your perceptions or your thoughts on how would this change your work if tomorrow everyone was using the patient portal how would this impact to you guys as clinicians like i think if everybody started using it it could be quite challenging but i think in the epr we have always done something in kind of an initiative way and we have you know done things slowly and that's been the success of the electronic patient record from when we rolled out module after module I do think the future is that every patient should have access to the record. Yes, it would change the way we do our business. We would have to just maybe change our work processes rather than anything else. But I think the idea of patients, well, not professional patients, that's the wrong word, knowledgeable patients, expert patients, an expert patient coming into you, having reviewed their information before they come in, their questions ready, and not spending your allotted 15 or 20 minutes getting that information, I think it can only be of benefit. Taking medication for a chronic condition is a challenge, and compliance is a challenge. But I think when patients are, are working together with the clinicians, they don't feel like Sue says that it's a paternalistic approach coming down. It's a shared care. And that's the way it should be. Like, nothing about you without you. That's what I think the portal is. It's it's your record. It's about you. Yes, it would change our processes. Yes, we would all have to adapt a little bit. But, you know, I think it's for the better. You may be enabled to look after or treat the person with epilepsy more effectively because the more information provided by them to you, I think, could make you more productive, if that's the word. Absolutely. And you can address the things that are really important because sometimes patients come into the clinic and the only thing they're asked about is the medications and their seizures. And the other important things like planning a pregnancy, how's school going, what's your mood like? All of these really important things aren't addressed sometimes because there's no time because you spend your time trying to figure out is it three or 400 milligrams and what the seizure in December or do you know? So sometimes I definitely think prepared patients make the encounter easier, better for the patient, better for the clinician, much more rewarding to work with the patient. I think it's really rewarding to work with a patient and not having this kind of top-down approach. And then that would also decrease, I imagine, a person's risk of pseudep because their epilepsy is likely to be better controlled, could improve their mental health as well. If, for instance, like, and this is a personal thing for me, like when I um, last saw my neurologist in advance, I was like, I need a referral to psychiatry, you know, or something like that because mental health issues. But I tell you what, I bet if I'd gone to the appointment without preparing that, I'm not forgotten. And so I imagine with this app um, or the device, the whole system to enable more patients to do that would just be wonderful. Can Mary, can you tell us about your involvement in all of this, please? And, and what, how do you contribute? So I've been, I suppose, with the whole epilepsy, what we call kind of e-health work since the beginning, going back um, 20 years. It's frightening in one way, but great in another way. So Maura and I have worked together on this for a long, long time. And then, you know, Kevin's been involved for the last few years and I've been able to meet people like Sue and, you know, work together. But I suppose just to go back to the very beginning of our kind of whole e-health endeavor, a group of us got together and saw the value that like in every other part of our lives, you know, 
we do everything electronically now, whether we like it or not. And a lot of it's very good. Some of it's annoying and all that kind of thing. But for example, you know, we book online if we're going on holidays, if we ever go on holidays again. But um, (laughs) we do our banking or we order things online and they get delivered to our door. So we're very aware of that in other aspects of our lives. And what some of us who are working in the epilepsy group back nearly 20 years ago kind of came to realize is that, you know, often you know, somebody starts their journey with their epilepsy condition, let's say in a remote part of Ireland, for example, and for a variety of reasons, years later, ends up in a centre like Beaumont Hospital being considered for epilepsy surgery and have taken a route all around the world to get there. And the same information about them is not available to everybody. That's where our electronic patient record idea came in, that if everybody involved in a patient's care had access to the same information, how that would help in the continuity of care. And way back at the beginning, we also had an interest in the idea that at some point we'd like to give people with epilepsy access to their own record so that they could really play a role in being a member of the clinical care team, that it wasn't just a thing that, as Maura's just said, they come in and things are done that they actually are playing a role. So that's been happening now in the last few years that we're getting there now. I suppose my role in all of this is that I have a background in electromedical equipment and technology in supporting healthcare. I'm by profession a medical physicist, but I've gone down a route of sort of e-health technologies. And I suppose my interest really is that we shouldn't ever minimize these solutions to being a technology solution. There's so much involved in the kind of people who are involved in the processes. So you asked, Kevin, about where are we going next? I think we've learned a huge amount in the project that we've been doing in the last couple of years from people like Sue and Maura. And now if we want to kind of implement this clinically, you know, moving forward, there's a lot to be thought about in terms of the rules and regulations around how the technology is managed, who's going to manage it, how do we ensure that the appropriate people get an account to their portal, how do they get ongoing support. So that my role is really in understanding all those people and process things and trying to pull that all together. So I work very closely then with Kevin on that and uh, I suppose in the background somewhere, but uh, it's really rewarding work and it's great to hear what Maura and Sue are saying about the technology and how it supports both of their roles. That's where I fit in. Has the past year actually been a time for your work to almost flourish in a way or for more people to appreciate what you're doing because we've been more isolated and we're not leaving the house? I suppose what's been really interesting is that Overnight, when COVID set in, in the healthcare situation, you know, not just in epilepsy care, but across the board, because of the need for social distancing and not allowing people, let's say, to come into hospital settings that didn't need to be there, overnight, healthcare services started to deliver services remotely by telephone or video, like we're doing here, video conferencing. Prior to that, people were understandably nervous of maybe delivering services in that remote way. But because of COVID, now people have learned, well, actually, in some situations, this really works. And in actual fact, it might not be ideal for everything. And nobody's saying that we, we should never see each other face to face again. But for some situations, it really works well. And it means that, you know, 
it can actually support a more kind of equitable service delivery, even to people in remote settings, if we mm-hmm. if we can get this right. So the learning through COVID has been very beneficial to us. And I suppose because we were on the journey with our patient portal, we see how something like a patient portal could really support that business of remote care. So I think it's, as you've just said, Tori, while it's been challenging through COVID, it's also taught us a lot, you know. So I don't know more, Sue, would you like to say anything about the COVID kind of situation and how it would influence our work? I I just think we moved seamlessly from uh, kind of face-to-face encounters to telephone calls with the EPR. We had had an infrastructure there and literally there was no change in our delivery. I don't mean there was no change. There was no change in the amount of patients that we saw. Full clinics, we're still seeing full clinics or doing full clinics on the phone. We had the infrastructure there, so we moved very, very quickly to it. And it's been beneficial for a lot of patients who don't have to take a day off work to come to an appointment. Shared delivery of care, I think, probably would be the way forward. We would see people, and when they're happy, they might move over to, te- you know, to telecare. It makes such sense for people with a chronic condition that they have all this. Again, they have the portal to prepare for their appointment, and they're invested in it. So, but Sue, I think, probably is on the receiving end of it. So she's probably the best person to ask. I can only see positives. Well, for, for the moment, initially, I went to a focus group once and one of the neurologists said he could definitely see a benefit from patients not attending hospitals as much or from having your, your appointment over online. And I initially was like, oh my God, no, no, no. We have to sit in front of him. We have to tell him everything. And Kevin did a virtual appointment with us as, as part of this. You know, Bobby had to go online and look at his checklist. And, and we, we looked at the questions and he came up with his own questions. And it was really, really good. And then lo and behold, COVID came and the hospital rang us and said, you will be having a phone call. And it didn't put the fear of God into me because we sat down we got our questions. It was brilliant. It wasn't a short one. We had whatever amount of time, but we covered absolutely everything. Okay. And another thing, I think my son now is a little bit different. Like he's a chronic illness, but I really think Bobby has a condition. He's not unwell. The more time you spend in hospitals, you come away feeling you are unwell. You know, I have to go into a hospital. Whereas I don't want to be in a hospital. I don't want him in a hospital unless he really needs to be there. And the fact that Bobby sat down at a laptop or on the phone and answered his own questions and went through, it was just so good. It was like empowering. It really was. And I'm, I'm so happy. Yeah. And Aww. yeah. So yeah, I'm all for it. Yeah. Do, do you miss, because I think I'm just thinking about other questions from other people. They really, really appreciate face to face. And I don't know if like we have hormones popping out or something, people can read your body language a bit more. What do you think about that and that potentially being missed? I think we had phone calls. So I think definitely a video conference. I would prefer a video conference. Yeah. But apart from that, no, I would prefer to see care in the community, to be completely honest. I really don't want to be going into a hospital. So, yeah, that's. The difference for me and I, I guess that goes back to what Moira was saying we kind of need to have a combination of online and then sometimes you do need to see your neurologist face to face you just have to and I suppose certain people are just not into IT at all and they'll just be like no and that's okay I think I think that, that's all right we're not going to disregard people's needs really yeah and some people like for instance get anxious using it I have a friend who's partially blind and She's a bit pants on her phone, really. And so I think she would like really appreciate going in to see her neurologist face to face. Do you want to elaborate that on that, Kevin? I mean, do you think that we need to be sure to have that balance? It's also about preferences, you know. So some people 
from our experience of trying to recruit people, you know, we recruited 72 people with epilepsy and 18 care partners, but we asked a lot more than that to be part of the research. And, you know, some people didn't want to, some people just weren't into technology. They didn't really use their phone or, you know, there's a, there's a whole host of reasons why people might not want to use this particular technology. But for those people that should be in, in clinic, there should be, you know, the face-to-face appointment. I suppose there's the other ways that they can receive their care. But I suppose then it's about preferences. And I suppose the more that people get used to accessing a system yeah. like this and doing their, their care, that their appointments that way, that can only kind of grow and get, get more efficient and improve. Like as Sue was talking earlier on about wanting to be able to contact her service through a patient portal, you know, things like that can be enhanced in the future in the patient portal. That can make it more appealing system for people who want to use it. They, they can do more things with it that whereas before they might have to contact their service over the phone or by email or letter to ask for something like their last appointment, uh, their GP letter. Now they can just go online, yeah, access the patient really portal, cool. download the letter, and there you have it. And it's, I suppose it's little things like that to just make your life a bit easier that maybe And less um, stressful, which is great with epilepsy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And just, you know, take take away the reliance on, on memory and stuff like that. I think it is about preferences and, you know, different cohorts of people and patients and, and carers will have different opinions on that but it's there for the people who want to use it. I think what's quite reassuring, actually, and I think many, if not the majority of people are unaware of, is the years of work that have gone into producing this so far. Like Mary was saying, you've been doing this for so long that it's not like something that's just been created, something scary. It's a lot of thought has gone into decisions made already from many different sources that that's reassuring what do you think Mary for sure I think the success of any of these kind of initiatives really requires a lot of different stakeholders and I know some people don't like that word but different perspectives no it really does and I think Kevin and Sue were just talking there you know about the whole idea of nowadays the concept of co-design is quite a buzzword but actually it's really meaningful because to get this right uh, we need input from the people who use epilepsy services, for example, to understand what their world is like and how does technology either support that or inhibit that or whatever. And then you've obviously the clinician's involvement and there's a range of clinicians. Then you have to have people that are involved in kind of healthcare policy and management because you have to understand the legal and regulatory aspects of what we're trying to do. So long before there was GDPR, I'd say Maura White and myself are probably privacy experts in terms of we, we were very aware of how An electronic health record brings all these kind of data privacy issues into play. So we were really engaging with data privacy experts way back when. As I say, healthcare policy, you've got computer scientists because maybe we've an idea about how the technology can do something and then they can advise us on how it will. So everybody has to be part of the story. So that's why it takes 
a long time, but it's also why it should take a long time, if you know what I mean, because you have to bring all of those things together. And where we're just to go back to a question that you asked, Tori, about where we're at with the portal project. So our portal work will take another significant amount of time because we've a lot to, if you like, get right about it, understand all the different players that I've just mentioned there and their perspectives and bring those into the mix in terms of bringing it into the clinical service. But yeah, you're absolutely right. It does require all those kind of various perspectives to come into the mix and work together by the way learn from each other and work together yeah and and just i was thinking one more thing security is something that people tend to be very worried about who's going to access my data who's going to hack into the system how how can you reassure people that that's not going to happen that there aren't going to be hackers First of all, from a technology point of view, if you like, all of the technology is built in such a way that there's lots of privacy protecting aspects to the technology. Now, that doesn't mean that something couldn't go wrong or anything like that. But for example, with the portal, you have to have two factor authentication of who's logging on and that even before somebody is given an account, they have to agree to certain ways of using the account and have to be, if you like, authenticated and authorized. And the same with the epilepsy electronic patient record. So there's kind of technology that protects that. Then there are governance rules that have to protect that as well. So, you know, so there's rules around who can access and when they can access it and where they can access it. And then as well, there would be regular vulnerability testing of the system. In other words, in technology world, people talk about penetration testing. So for example, um, in the background, the IT people regularly test how safe and secure the system is and actually try to hack in. I'm not just talking about the epilepsy system, but that's what happens in the background of all sorts of IT technology where they'd actually test it very regularly to see can it be broken into is it secure? You know, so there's a lot of work goes into exactly what you're talking about, making sure that only the people who have authority or, and are authenticated can use a system. And then all the rules around that, that make sure that we avoid and minimize the potential of any breaches or anything like that. Okay, cool. so we're kind of coming to the end now. Um, but is there anything that anybody would like to add? And if there is something that we don't have time for, we can always go on and do another podcast. But what else now? What what else would you like to include? Getting the regulations right, you know. So that's that's a big part of the of the next phase. And as Mary was saying, this won't happen overnight. Like you know, you don't don't just turn around tomorrow and that patient port will be used for all patients in Ireland, you know. You're going to have us lot jealous on the other side of the, well, the water, yeah. you know. How well, long do you think it will take? Um, how long is a piece of string? Oh, man. <laughs> I, we want to manage people's expectations, well, you know. I, I think um, it depends on the clinical services and how they're able to handle it. And I think what we have done is we have a group of patients, a group of carers, a group of people with epilepsy that have used this. We have a group of clinicians that have have used the patient portal, they see the value in it. So they're kind of ready for a soft launch to start using this in the clinical world, you know, if that is what the clinical world wants. So we've put together a nice group that we can go back to in the future and, you know, develop this more and enhance it and try to get the regulatory stuff and government stuff right. I'm cautiously positive about it. And as you're saying there, you know, you get people will be getting um, jealous. You know, it's part of this this research is to 
other systems then you know can can see what we're doing and we can look look what they're doing and we can try we can say right we've done this this is where we've got to and we can learn from them and they can learn from us you know if other people are seeing this research and, and think it's think it's a good thing and think they can learn from it that's part of the whole reason for doing it as well. Wonderful. And, you know, it really makes me think of how nations, normally competitive organisations, came together for COVID. And we got these vaccinations and we are saving so many lives as a result. And I personally think, which you just pretty much said yourself, if we can get more and more people from different nations working together rather than just competing all the time, you know, we are going to better the lives of so many people literally in the world. I just want to say this. I, I feel there's tremendous potential with the portal, tremendous potential. But I think what's really important is that patient power also drives it. And the patient group and the patient users ask for this, want this and talk about it and make other patients want it as well. Because... You know, the health service may listen to the patients more than they listen to the clinicians. But I really think patient power is really important to drive this and for the epilepsy associations to, to champion this and to be, you know, talking about it so that the health service has to respond. So, OK, I think it's a brilliant point, actually, personally. To me, as a patient, it feels like, generally speaking for people, it is easier for epilepsy organisations to have influence on the government rather than individual patients. So how would you suggest that patients are able to have the influence they want to? It's, it's linking in and being part. And I know Epilepsy Ireland has been very supportive of this project from the very beginning. And I'm not sure if exactly Mary would know more of that, but I, I think it's using Epilepsy Ireland to champion it for patients. Maybe that's a bit fluffy now, but for patients to, you know, to talk to their organization and ask, why can't we have this? Why aren't they using it? What can you do to make the clinicians use that? What can you do to change health policy that patients have access to the records? Epilepsy is a chronic disease and there's so much learning for other chronic diseases from the epilepsy, EPR and the portal. So it's not just epilepsy here. I feel the potential is huge for all chronic conditions. Just to add to that, because actually, because it's uh, really important, I think what Moore has just said is really, really exactly right. But interestingly, just um, Tori, the, the project that we're working on, the research project was funded by the Health Research Board in Ireland and also co-funded by Epilepsy Ireland, the Department of Health and our health service executive. And the reason there's that model of funding for this particular project is to do with this idea of what they call knowledge transfer or knowledge users. So Mm -hmm. the idea is that the researchers, like what we've just described to you, do whatever project, but that they bring those knowledge users into the mix, like the Department of Health, which is in charge of setting policy, like the health service executive that's in charge of actually delivering healthcare, and like Epilepsy Ireland, who is a voice for people with epilepsy in the country. By being part of the project and being funders of the project, they also take some of the output of the project to influence how do we actually bring this to the next stage. So we're hoping that that model of funding the project will actually influence how the learning from this project is taken forward. I just think it all sounds really, really exciting. And that's the message we need to get out to everybody. And sometimes actually remind us a lot with epilepsy because there are so many negative things that happen and you're just like, it's lovely to hear something uplifting and be reminded because we might forget. 
So yes, I think everybody should be speaking then to Epilepsy Ireland, saying how we support your work and appreciate it and have, you know, basically a voice with the government and the health service and say this is going to better so many people's lives, make people's careers more fulfilling, I imagine, and just as cheesy as it is, make the world a better place. That's what we need. Yeah, we need that hope. So thank you so much, everybody. It's been absolutely delightful to speak to all of you. And if anybody wants to get hold of you, I will provide links to your profiles, if that's okay. Um, You can send me email addresses if you want. If not, that's fine. Um, I know that, Kevin, we were going to bring your details in if people could go through yourself, if that's what everybody else would like. It's been great. Thank you so much. Thanks, Tori. Thanks, Tori. Take care. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye. Today, I thank Kevin, Mary, Mary and Susan for joining us and for telling us how they are empowering patients and families affected by epilepsy through tech. For more information about the team and Pisces, you can find links in the description below. Get ready for next week when I shall be talking to Dr. Omar Mamad, a neuroscientist and genetic epilepsy researcher specialising in the rare epilepsy CDKL5. Follow me on Twitter, LinkedIn or Facebook. And we'd love to hear from you if you have any thoughts about today's show. Do subscribe to our podcast and know that we are always trying to improve what we are doing here for the program. I'm Tori Robinson. Thanks for listening.